This is Philip from Planet Philip here. I've been locked in no PK's basement for the last week, finally managed to escape a few moments ago, rushed to my house to just to get online to record this for you. So I'm glad to be back. With me today, we have William and Tobias and uh, Alexander. So gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. Hey everybody, I am back for another episode. You know, I haven't missed an episode of Podcast 17, so obviously I get more of the marks here. Um, I would just like to say a few things. I am in an insanely good mood because I just got these new pants that I'm wearing right now, and they're lined with flannel. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will, because it's like I'm wearing pajamas, but on the outside, they're pants. Well, my name is Tobias. I'm the creator behind Suicide Survival, a mod for Half-Life 2. And I'm currently studying game design in the fifth semester in Switzerland. And I'm doing my final project in the summer next year. Hi, I'm Alexander, a wannabe game designer, a former writer for Planet Half-Life, and all-around official Half-Life guru. Tobias, tell us about game design. Um, like, what are you specifically studying? Because I'm sure there there's a lot of people out there who want to know more about that. How'd you get into it? I mean, we'll talk more in your interview, but I just, I'm curious right now. Um, it's a bachelor degree at Art uh, University in uh, Zurich, Switzerland. And it's basically um, all the stuff related to making games. So it's just not just designing games, but it's also like how do you make a model, how do you texture, um, how do you make sounds, uh, what ideas are good, what ideas are bad, yeah, stuff like that. And it's more like arts orientated, so not um, not like mainstream games, but more like independent games, like stuff that hasn't been done before or new stuff or just like art stuff, yeah. Wow, very cool. Anyway, Philip, we have a slew of podcast news. You want to get started on that? Certainly, William. First up is the survey. We have been listening to you and we have made some changes. We recently posted um, something called the survey feedback where William and I replied to the relevant points made on the survey. Most of them were just comments rather than the actual uh, information we received. So if you've written something in the survey and think it deserved a reply, have a look. Maybe we've already replied to it. We're going to make some changes based on the information we've received. One of them being, instead of having a, a website of the week and a video of the week, we're going to change that to a video of the month, and then an, another week we'll have website of the month, and then we'll have a few other things as well. So instead of having those things weekly, they'll be moved to monthly. Please, please, please keep the uh, survey completions coming in, because the more we learn about what you want and what you don't want, the better this podcast will be. Also, um, I don't know who posted that I have an accent, but I do not have an accent. I would just like to say that. And Blast from the Past is coming back next week. So we are listening to you guys. Um, so if you have any suggestions, we definitely listen. We definitely put it on the show. So 
don't hesitate to fill out those surveys. I just wanted to reinforce that fact. Because Blast from the Past is coming back. And in case William's accent was too strong there for you, for those listeners, he said Blast from the Past is coming back. Oh, and video, sorry, William. Audio and video comments are the next thing on the list. Um, I managed to find something on the sphere of uh, WordPress, and I installed it on Planet Philip yesterday, and it was so cool I decided that we should have it for Podcast 17. It basically allows you to um, post either audio-only comments or audio and video comments. Really easy to use. You don't have to do any. You don't have to install any software. You just need a modern browser and Flash installed. If you don't like what you've recorded, you can quickly re-record it. So it's really cool. Have you used it, William? Oh yes. And I would just like to say I urge everybody to go onto Planet Philip and watch your video comment on the audio comments. It's kind of hard to explain, but there's the banner there, and then you click the banner, and uh, you go down to the video comments, and look at what Philip looks like, and he is a hybrid of Steve Jobs and Gordon Freeman. Like, perfectly. Gordon Freeman! Gordon! Oh my god, I'm just gonna quit right now. Okay, well I don't think that's true, but uh, that'd be kind of cool if it was. But thank you for that. So yes, um... Look out for those audio and video comments. They're really, really good. Okay, next up is uh, Vimeo. I have been uploading all our previous podcasts to Vimeo. Vimeo is very similar to YouTube, and uh, we've decided to upload them there so that we give listeners uh, another avenue um, to be able to listen to our show. It also gives you the opportunity that if you want to embed that into your website, you can do that. So that would be kind of cool if you do that. Thank you very much. The last reason is that eventually we hope to actually have a video cast. And if we've already been uploading to a video channel, then it will make a transition much, much easier. So the link will be on the sidebar of this podcast. So look out for those. Next up is, um, in fact, William should talk about this, because this was William's idea, and this is called our podcast playing event. William, why don't you tell the listeners about this? Right. At the end of the show um, of every episode now, we're going to encourage people who are listening to join our Steam community. And myself and Philip and Nick have already joined our Steam community. You can find it on Steam. It's just called Podcast 17. And uh, you go ahead and join it. And what we're going to do is we're going to encourage people to play a specific mod every week. So, for example, this week, and I'll restate it again at the end of the podcast, is going to be Suicide Survival since we have Tobias on the show. We're going to encourage everybody to play Suicide Survival, and it'll give you guys a chance, the listeners, to play with us, the godly hosts of Podcast 17, and also play with each other, other listeners. So you join the group, and uh, you know you can chat within the groups, most community-based stuff, but we're really trying to keep you guys close-knit together, and, uh, and obviously play with each other in terms of Half-Life, not actually play with each other. Um, anyway, so... Join the Steam community. Steam community's name is Podcast17. And uh, just go ahead and meet some friends. That's what it's all about. So that's all we have to say about that. And in case anybody's wondering, yes, I will be joining the, uh, the games. Even though I'm not a big MP fan, I will try. And you will have your chance to kill me, which is probably what most people want to do anyway. So you'll be, have a chance to do that online. Next up on the Podcast 17 News is, um, I mentioned earlier about 
hoping to eventually create a video cast. Well, if there are any listeners out there who have experience with that and maybe want to help us put something together, perhaps you're, you know, you play a lot of mods and you use Fraps or GameCam or one of the other recording softwares, uh, and you want to help us maybe try and put something together, then um, contact us, please. I mean, that would be really cool. If we can start, start to get something like that going, that would be uh, pretty cool. Okay, I think that's about it for the podcast news. Uh, I'll probably interject some other things later in the show, but it's probably time for William to take over with the follow-up. Right. This week we have uh, a few bits of follow-up and errata that uh, I want to kind of talk about. First up on the list is uh, Suicide versus Survivors. Uh, Suiciders versus Survivors. I just want to say that this game is awesome. Last week we mentioned it, and I didn't have a chance to play it, and I urge you all to go ahead and play it, but we're going to talk about this more in detail when we interview Tobias, who's the developer of Suiciders vs. Survivors. Um, So I won't get too much into that. Next up on follow-up in Arata, we have Dav Sub. I mentioned that last week too. I didn't get a chance to play that. And Dav Sub is awesome. I think, Philip, you will love this mod. It's uh, just a straight-up single-player mod, very linear, but extremely fun. Uh, it does have some like side quests, and you have to go down different routes too. I mean, last week we had that conversation of different types of maps, map layouts. Um, but Philip, you will really love Dav Sub. Did you get to play it yet? Have uh, you put it on Planet Philip? Yeah, it's it's on there, but I played it so long ago, and because I'm so old and I have a memory like a sieve, to be honest, I can't remember um, much about it. But I, I'm pretty sure I enjoyed it because I normally remember the mods that I hate. Yeah, um, errata based off of Dav Sub though. Last week I said Dav Sub Source is out. It's not really. When I checked the Dav Sub Source site, I saw that they posted Dav Sub Gold Source and the Dav Sub Source uh, pro- mod DB profile, so it confused me. So Dav Sub Source is not out. Sorry for the confusion. And uh, lastly, I just wanted to apologize for how strong we came off on Project Resident Evil and how much Emmanuel was bashing it, but. It's totally not worth playing. Do not play the what they have. It's It'll just frustrate you beyond belief. And I think we really have to specify mods that are not good on the show to deter people away from playing it. There's a couple survey comments about that, and I just wanted to clarify our stance on that. Yeah, somebody mentioned that we shouldn't be talking about the bad mods, and I think it, now you mention it, that you know, we have to be clear. We have to, because we have to steer people away from the things that will waste their time. Um, your evil twin, just real quick back on Dav Sub, you mentioned when we were talking earlier that uh, you remember playing some of the creator's other stuff. What other stuff has he made? Uh, I'm pretty sure that he uh, he made um, uh, quite a bunch of the maps for um, As Your Sheep and Point of View. Um, I remember before um, you mentioning the fans of Point of View, the, uh, the mod where you get to play as an alien slave. Um, and As Your Sheep was the previous mod before that where you uh, a sort of alternative blue shift. It's a, it's a mod where you play as a security guard, but unlike blue shift, which is terribly short, um, Azure Sheep was gigantic. I loved Azure Sheep. That's one of my favourite mods of all time for Half-Life 1. I thought it was great. Uh, Katie, or Kate, or whatever her name was, who was a female security guard, was quite difficult to manoeuvre a few times, and I didn't really like that aspect of it, but I thought it was a great one. Those are, yeah, two very, very, very good Half-Life 1 mods, so... It's good to see that the developer has worked on those two as well, because it really shows how well Dav Sub is made. Anyway, we got some Half-Life news, and uh, 
We were originally going to have Half-Life short stories on the show. However, their site seems to be down and they're having some technical difficulties, so we couldn't have them on today. But I do want to mention that they have their new episode. Um, they've released a new episode uh, to which their Half-Life short stories is going to be covering. So that's interesting to look at. Check out their ModDB profile. It's on the right-hand side of the links, obviously. And uh, they have some new images up there as well. Um, they mention a little bit uh, about Human Error, uh, which is their first official media release and everything. So check out the videos, check out the screenshots. And unfortunately, we didn't have them on the show, but hopefully we can have them on the show uh, next week or the weeks coming. Yeah, I um I haven't followed this mod as much as I should do. Um, I'll make sure that I sort of get more information on it. But um, I'm hoping that they're not going to just keep announcing new episodes without releasing anything. I don't know whether they uh, they got like a set schedule or not. But uh, and I'm not sure the reason for announcing a new episode. But it looks interesting. I really like the idea of just having short stories instead of one big story. So let's wait and see. Um, I was checking out their website um, yesterday, and they have a small flash time-lapse thing where you can see how the maps are made uh, for Half-Life short stories, and it's really um, interesting to see how how they build up the map and how detailed they did all the map uh, stuff. It's quite interesting. Yeah, right now their website's down, but we'll definitely include the link on the show note links. I want to take a look at that as well. They said they updated a few things. Oh, actually, uh, I think their website uh, is not down. It's moved. If you go to um, www.hlssmod.net, I think that is their website. Oh, yeah, that seemed to be working. So check out www.hlssmod.net. Um, for more information on Half-Life 2 short stories. And uh, they do have that time-lapse thing up on there. That's very cool. Very cool, actually. Wow. Um, I think it's a great idea to do stuff like that so other people can see how you build up a map or how it evolves or changes over time and play tests. Right. Um, also gives other mappers some good ideas on how to develop their own maps, too, and how to use orange textures properly. I know a lot of people don't really know how to use orange textures properly to, uh, you know, measure out their maps, but you could see it through this time-lapse video. These kind of things would be perfect for tutorials as well. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I remember um, back in the day there's a, there was a mod called uh, Half-Life Quantum Leap, which had a whole series of different maps made by different people. Um, there wasn't really a coherent story to the mod. It was a bunch of random maps in all different styles of varying quality. Um, and it was, it was quite a blast to play. Because um, the thing is, people are unlikely to download just one single map, um, you know, which they could finish in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so this way, you know, it drew sort of attention to the work of the whole bunch of different mappers um, and uh, yeah and it's great to see that uh, you know that this kind of thing is being done again for uh, for Half-Life 2 you know uh, another th- another project that just came to mind uh, that runs on the same vein as that is on the Sven Co-op forums I always mention Sven Co-op but uh, they decided to do a community map project where they take all the greatest mappers of Sven Co-op and each person 
picks a certain part of the form and they map it. So we were actually, in essence, mapping the whole Sven Co-op form, but each person would have their own uh, form board to map. So I had server boards, and, you know, other people had, uh, you know, other or uh, general discussion, you know, the normal boards that you'd see. And then at the end, uh, Jay Polito would take all those pieces and put them all together. And I submitted my part. I don't think they're done everybody's done with their parts yet, but it's going to be a, such an amazing project. They did it uh, with a map called Rage Map. I don't know if you ever, anybody's heard of that either in Sven Co-op. And what they did is it didn't have any theme, but they just took all their maps together and they kind of made a patched together map of a longer skew of things. And it was awesome. It was really fun. I'm I'm very confused by your, uh, your comment that... Uh, that you've been mapping the Sven Co-op forum. I mean, will the final maps look like an internet forum? Are you running around on gigantic text? Or is it some kind of abstract representation of the forum? Well, the idea is that since it's a community project, it's however you um, decide the forms look like if they were to be materialized. Um, in my opinion, I did server board because I host servers. So the server board was essentially a giant server room and you kind of had this objective where you had to protect the servers. Um, you know, grunts would crash in through the ceilings. You had to protect the servers for a certain amount of time. And then once you did, uh, you won the server board section. A lot of people are doing off-topic, um, like Keen um, and Turricane are doing the off-topic section where it's really, really obscure. Um, you have random things just floating around. And there are form textures in there. It's just however you want to make it is however it'll work. And that's the beauty of doing a community project like that. I think in Half-Life Short Stories you'll see this as well. Um, a whole bunch of people having their own ideas and then them putting together. It's going to be interesting to look at. I think maybe I've misunderstood it, or maybe you've misunderstood it, but my understanding is that Half-Life Short Stories is um, a group of mappers making uh, a mod that is just a short story. It's not essentially one mapper makes one story and then another ma mapper makes another one. It's just instead of some big long story, it's just like mini episodes. At least that's my understanding. Going back to what you guys were saying earlier, that was the, the, the goal for Hollow Reality, which was a, a mod that I created with a Cube Dude to get as many different people to create any type of map possible and then put them together with a story that linked them in some way. A little bit like Quantum, uh, Quantum Leap, but there was no story behind, behind that, and that was also for the Half One engine, whereas Hollow Reality was for, the, um, for Source, and it was hoping to get people to convert de Deathmatch maps and you know new mappers to try something small but it didn't really take off unfortunately mm. yeah, I greatly I greatly prefer when there is some kind of story hanging hanging it together um, I mean I think the the uh, Half-Life Quantum Leap team did another one um, uh, Half-Life Issues um, and they tried there to slightly create some kind of story where um, where some scientist had gone missing through a teleporter, so you were jumping between lots and lots of different maps in order to find the lost scientist. And you know, basically, it, all it needed was that little bit of justification. Um, you know, even when maps are totally different styles, different time periods, different planets, it's nice when there is something connecting them, rather than here is map number fourteen. Yeah, one of my um, favourite mods of all time is a Half-Life 2 map called Offshore. 
and it's fantastic. It's made by one guy called Darrow. Um, I'll have to check on that. Sorry, um, I think his name is Darrow Lint or something like that. Sorry, and my only problem with it, and it's a very very long. It took me at least fifteen hours to finish it. Is that there's no story involved except the idea that you're escaping, and there's no voice acting. There's no other storytelling. And I got almost bored because I didn't have a motivation for doing what I'm doing anymore. And I think that that's really important, whether the mod is long or short. And I'm going to be talking about motivation when we talk about a map a little bit later. All right, so those are really great points. Um, definitely keep your eye out on Half-Life Short Stories. And obviously check out the things that we've talked about before, you know, Quantum Leap. And uh, check out the Sven Co-op post about uh, the SC underscore forums, that's what it's called. And Rage Map, if you're a Sven Co-op fan. But these community projects are awesome. Uh, they they keep maps going because a lot of the time, if somebody, if one person is working on a map, or one person is working on a project, they lose drive real quick. And the idea is that other people will motivate them to keep going. Or if you have some sort of deadline, or people are depending on you, then uh, that it that in itself is a drive to continue mapping. So even if you are working on a project, um, if you're a developer out there working on a uh, mod by yourself. Uh, Make sure you work with other people, too, so that you have that drive and that motivation to work with others, and that's all I have to say about that. Anyway, our next bit of news topic is the Black Mesa Source trailer. This thing is orgasmic. It looks better than anything Valve could ever create. That's all I'm going to say. If you haven't seen it already, shame on you, and go watch it now. But this thing is awesome. Oh, my God. Just the lighting involved and what to expect from this mod... They really are going to change Half-Life for me. Anyway, Philip, what do you think of this? Oh my god. It's fantastic, it's fantastic. And I keep saying this, but I really think it's going to reinvigorate the modding community once it's released. And we talked about this before, about whether they release their um, textures. I can't believe that they wouldn't do that. Um, and if they do, then there's going to be hundreds of Black Mesa mods, which is going to make me so happy because I love the idea of that place. Um, and they've done a fantastic job, very, very professional. So if anybody from the Black Mesa team is listening, I've emailed you uh, or I've emailed your leader. Please reply and come on the show. We want to talk about you. Maybe the listeners can get involved. Maybe the listeners should go on the Black Mesa forums and start a petition to get them on Podcast 17. Actually, Nick makes a really good uh, comment in uh, chat, our producer, Nick. He said that Black Mesa was listed on GameTrailers.com, which is interesting because you don't see mods on there either. And I frequent Kotaku as well, and they even posted this trailer on Kotaku. So the big sites, the big sites that have nothing to do with Half-Life, are posting about Black Mesa Source. And that is crazy. You know, like, this is just a whole new way of reporting news for mods. You do not see this with normal mods. It's insane how much PR this mod is getting. I'm hoping it's going to have the same effect that Counter-Strike had as well. It's it's really going to sort of change the way we think about things, and hopefully we do things in a, a, a different, much more professional way. Yeah, I mean, of course, um, I mean, I'm incredibly looking forward to, to Black Mesa. Um, the one problem with a project such as Black Mesa is that because it is so hotly anticipated, um, you know, they've got to they've got to make every aspect so totally perfect. Otherwise, uh, people are you know some fans are going to be complaining or nitpicking about certain things. While you know a, a totally new mod, you know, with a new story of its own, um, people would just appreciate in its own right. But in this case, they've got to live up to the legacy of original Half Life. 
and you know people are expecting it to be you know better and more fun than the game they originally played back in 1998. Um, if I may add this as an art student and raise my critical voice, just don't forget that awesome graphics and game trails does not equal um, good gameplay or just fun to play. I think that's something um, people tend to forget. I don't think they should have uh, too much to worry on that front because if they are truly recreating the original Half-Life 1 gameplay then that should stand in its own right because Half-Life 1 is still fun to play. There are certain aspects which are slightly odd like um, you know, rescuing a bunch of scientists and security guards and they follow you around and then you've got to climb up a lift shaft and they just stand there and make no comment and don't care or say I'm not taking another step um, so hopefully they've got some slightly improved you know, little sequences so it doesn't seem quite so daft when you abandon survivors but um, apart from that um, the Half-Life 1 gameplay you know, stands up uh, you know, pretty well by today's standards Yeah, I have to agree on that I think it's always also worth considering that I wonder how many people will play this mod who have never played Half-Life 1 because I'm pretty sure that there's quite a few people out there who have Half-Life 2 but haven't played Half-Life 1. I mean, I don't have any exact figures, but I, I think that that's the case. And a lot of people won't be comparing it to the original Half-Life 1 because they haven't played it. Or even uh, Half-Life Source. You know, Valve did their own version of Half-Life Source, and I haven't even played that. I played it for a little bit, but then I said, you know, what's the point? Uh, there's not much here that separates this from the original Half-Life, except for, yeah, it has the physics engine, yeah, it has different models. I mean, even the textures are, were pretty much the same. So I can't wait to play Half-Life in the Source engine, because I've never fully done it yet. Uh, whereas people, you know, other people feel the same way as me. Uh, like Nick just said, I prefer Half-Life to Valve's Half-Life Source, too. Even though Valve, uh, our, the original Half-Life, is 10 years old, it's way better than the Source version. It just feels, it feels more natural to me. Also, when um, uh, Half-Life Source had a, had a bunch of problems, um, for instance, um, helicopters were incredibly easy to kill. Um, in regular Half-Life, they were bulletproof, except for a couple of spots, um, and it took a lot of bullets to take them down. Uh, in Half-Life Source, they're not bulletproof, so while you intended to take them down with the rocket launcher or the towel cannon, uh, you can just take out your pistol and um, to um, two magazines of pistol bullets will take down an Apache helicopter, which is a bit daft. And you can also get yourself locked out of the anomalous materials lab uh, after the experiment. If you decide to go out the door, um, it can close behind you and you can get stuck. So um, Half-Life Source you know, isn't an ideal way to play Half-Life if you haven't played it before. If someone's new to Half-Life, it's best they play regular old Half-Life, because if they play Half-Life Source, um, they'll get a slightly wonky experience. Yeah, you can't upgrade some parts and not others. Does anybody know why Valve released it like that? In my own mind, they wanted to, um, you know, appeal to the younger players. Because, you know, I used to work at a gaming center, and I tried to encourage people to play Half-Life. And they said, oh, no, I never want to play Half-Life. That's 10 years old. But they're probably more likely to play Half-Life Source because it's new. You know, it's that mentality that kids have nowadays. I think that's what Valve thought. If they released Half-Life Source, then, uh, you know, new generations of players were more likely to get in the Half-Life franchise. But on the same vein of that, you should never release a game that is sub-part of the original. I mean, it just totally demoralizes the original game. If somebody played Half-Life Source, they would have such a 
bad idea, and it would be such a bad representation of the original Valve creation that, uh, you know, it might even deter them away from playing Half-Life 2 or any of the subsequent episodes. Uh, Wasn't it also that the original Half-Life wasn't uh, compatible with Steam? I mean, it it was uh, based on the one, uh, one or something like that system. Well, Valve got and regular Half-Life working pretty well in in Steam. Um, I don't think Half-Life Source was released because of problems with Half-Life in Steam. It works it works perfectly fine. So that's the reader's uh, task this week: find out and tell us why Valve released Half-Life Source. <laughs> well, I'm, I've got my own idea, idea on that. I seem to remember some comment that they wanted to find out. Um, what mod teams would have to go through, you know, Half-Life mod teams, you know, switching to using the Source engine in Half-Life 2. Um, you know, so they decided that they would redo Half-Life 1 for the Source engine and find out what's involved in that. And then once they'd done it, they thought, oh, well, we might as well release that. Originally, it was just a bonus if you bought the special edition of Half-Life 2, but eventually they um, sold it separately. Maybe I'm looking into this a little bit too deeply, but another reason why Valve might have released Half-Life Source would to deter people away from create from recreating Half-Life in Source, even though Black Mesa Source already did it. But maybe the idea was, if we create Half-Life Source, um, there would be no reason for people to recreate Half-Life in Source. And maybe they just didn't want people fooling around with their own IPs. Nah... <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't see that as a reason because they didn't really create it in Source. They just made it compatible um, with the Source engine and added a few bits and bobs like the water and, as you say, physics engine. So I wouldn't have said that they recreated it in Source. Uh, I have to agree with Philip on this one because I think it's not possible to uh, like modify the original Half-Life so it would work on Steam. Do you mean Source, device? Um, yeah, because, I mean, when you code for, when you uh, make mods for Half-Life, you don't have access to all the stuff. Like, you have access to a lot of stuff that's being uh, done for you or parsed over to code, so you can't uh, use all the details um, involved on this, on their side half. Right. Anyway, um, moving right along... Dream Ball 1.2 is released. Has anybody ever played Dream Ball? You know, I played this 1.2, and I had a good time. The controls were a little bit wonky, and I got a little bit frustrated, but once once I got over that, um, you know, it was kind of fun. I like playing Marble Madness, and this game is exactly like Marble Madness, where you move uh, a marble across some wooden platforms, you try to get to the exit, kind of like a labyrinth, so to speak. And uh, it's just something interesting going on with the Source engine that a lot of people aren't doing. I like seeing originality. I played it. I think they should rename it Nightmare Ball. Not because I hated it, but because I just couldn't couldn't do it. I wasn't very good. I found it really frustrating the way the camera angle changed. And when the camera angle changed, you had to change which button you used. And I just think, why can't they pull a little bit further away and keep the camera angles uh, still? But maybe that's just how they did it. It was very, in, um, it was very good. It was very interesting. It was good to see something new, but it only held my attention for one and a half levels because I kept falling off on the second one. And I thought, oh man, I can't do this anymore. 
even if it only held your attention for one and a half levels or you played it through like I did. I mean, it only took me like 20 minutes to play it through. And it's supposed to be this polished, perfect game. Well, I'm never going to play the levels again. There's only about five levels in there. And I don't think it would be that hard to make more levels. Uh, so it really only has a lasting appeal of 20 minutes. And then after that, you know, you're left with, okay, what do I do now? This is where the community needs to uh, make make their own levels for it, I suppose. Um, because if they don't, then you're right. Then it's it's just it's finished. Once you've played it, you've played it. That's it. Yeah, I even went to the site to look on their forums for more maps, and alas, there were none. So I think, um, and what Tobias is doing right now, which again we will get to, I think what the um, what the developers have to do is encourage the community to make maps and release a proper SDK and tell people how to create maps for uh, for Dreamball because I'm sure it is a little bit different. I mean, it's a totally different idea, it's a totally different I- our uh, reality of gameplay. But uh, you know, people aren't taking hold of that. Yeah, you need to you need to encourage people. You need to convince them that that's what they need to do. Um, I think a mod like this would benefit from having some kind of stats which would be uh, something like fastest time and then maybe fluidity, you know, whether you've gone too far to one side or too far to the edge, probably other, some other technical stats that they could do. That might make people play more. There'd be like speedruns that they could do and then mappers would, you know, create maps that were specifically designed for speedruns and stuff. Nick has just let us know in chat that uh, the developer has commented about the camera and he says he has a good programmer to fix it. So it is being fixed. He's aware of the issue. So maybe uh, the listeners out there want to hold out till Dream Ball 1.3, I guess, when the camera's fixed or whenever they fix that camera, because it is extremely frustrating. But I thought I'd mention that, just another release of the week. Um, the Black Mess demo was released as well this week. Um, this wasn't that great. Uh, I played it. Philip, did you play it? Yes, and let me just tell all listeners now, don't waste your time. It's not worth playing. Maybe the final mod will be, but this is just a complete waste of time. I actually think that the the person developing this is in some way connected to the uh, City 17 guy because some of those models are exactly the same. So maybe that they've got something going. But really, we must do everything we can to discourage mappers from releasing these kind of things because it doesn't benefit anybody. If you want uh, beta testing, then on Planet Philip, I have a beta testing team specifically for SP mods who have got lots of experience, different quality computers, different quality skill levels. You can have a private beta, but releasing this is a complete waste of everybody's time, including yours. I 100% agree. Um, there's only two levels, and but just to be clear, this is Black Mess, not Black Mesa. I got so many comments on Steam when I went to play this game. 100 people messaged me, and they said, you're playing the Black Mesa demo? I was like, no, it says Black Mess, not Black Mesa. So, um, just to clarify. Also, there's two levels here. The first level is horrible, absolutely horrible. The second level is a little bit better than the first level, but still pretty bad. Um, I got through the demo, and I got through the demo a little bit relieved that I didn't have to play any more of it. Uh, it was a little bit entertaining. If you like playing everything like I do, and like Philip does, then by all means go ahead and play it, um, just to fill your ego like we do. But um, if, if, if you have uh, a limited amount of time in the day, and you're not one of those guys who have to play everything like we are, then just totally avoid it. 
Uh, yeah, I got confused about the name too, and it's which is also something to remind other people who were making mods to pick a name that's unique and who isn't used by other uh, games or projects, and also something that's uh, yeah that's new. I was thinking maybe it was supposed to be a bit tongue in in cheek. Everyone's heard of Black Mesa, you know, the f- you know the facility rather than necessarily the uh, the remake mod. And so it's not the Black Mesa facility; it's Black Mess. I think he was going for that bit of name recognition, but maybe that's uh, slightly backfiring in a few cases. Well, it was a little unfortunate because you know the Black Mesa trailer was released the same day that the Black Mess demo was released, so that confusion was there and t- there too. Anyway, moving right along, uh, some piece of good news that came out this week was the Decadence Dev Kit. Um, I followed this, I've been following this mod, and they kind of release a little bit, uh, uh, you know, they have media releases every couple weeks, and what Decadence is, is it's a story-driven multiplayer modification, um, that's kind of set in the steampunk future, so if you like games like Fallout, or, uh, other steampunk genre games, then this is definitely gonna be a mod for you, it is multiplayer, um, but the images of this mod look absolutely amazing the weapons are truly unique it kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of dystopia um but more steamy than just cyberpunk uh and what they did was they released the dev kit so if you are interested in this mod and if you're a developer you can go ahead and sign up on the forums to become a contributor and uh you can learn how to make custom apps the mod isn't even out yet um but what they're doing is they're opening it up to developers so that they can go ahead and create more maps so when it is released they have a huge plethora and natural selection did this when natural selection the original natural selection came out they opened up their dev kit for people on the forums and what it did what it allowed is it allowed more people to create maps so when they released um, there was a whole bunch of different types of maps and a whole bunch of unique ideas instead of the same thing um, for the first two months of release so check this out because this mod looks awesome, and if you are a developer, this might be something that interests you. I wish Black Mesa Source would do that, release some of the assets that they have so that people can start making mods of the mod. Right, or even just basically levels. Um, I'm not sure if Black Mesa Source will have multiplayer like the original Half-Life did, you know, just the straight-up multiplayer deathmatch. But it would be cool to see some levels um, in the multiplayer aspect of it. Oh, um, Black Mesa definitely has the uh, recreation of Half-Life Deathmatch. If you go on the website, you can see screenshots from the remakes of the old Half-Life 1 Deathmatch maps. Wonderful. That excites me greatly. But, but yeah, I mean, I really like what Decadence is, um, you know, is doing here. And it would be cool if um, you know, projects like Black Mesa would share their assets. I doubt they'd want to share actual, you know, in-progress levels because the idea is for the game to, you know, surprise people to a certain extent when it eventually comes out. But, um, but you know, it would be great if they released, you know, textures or models, you know, this sort of standard office furniture or, you know, Black Mesa health charges, things like that. Um, you know, that kind of thing would, uh, would you know, really uh, sort of jumpstart the community. But, uh, alas, it's all under lock and key. Perhaps perhaps it's because Decadence is more of a multiplayer focus than, uh, than Black Mesa, which is mainly single-player focused. So they want a bigger surprise. Yeah, and also Decadence is kind of keeping it 
Uh, it, they are saying that they have the dev kit released, but at the same time, you have to go through a complicated process of going through their forms, getting on the dev forms, and then uh, getting the dev kit and reading through the tutorials. So they are opening it up, but in essence, what they're doing is they're opening it up to the elite. They're not just saying, here's a file front link, uh, go ahead and download the dev kit. They're saying, get up on our forms, register on our website, um, get to know the people, and then you can have the dev kit, so to speak. That's, and that's a perfect way of doing it. You're right. You don't just want to distribute everything and then let people steal your work. You want to make sure that what you're doing is for the benefit of the mod. And that seems like a fair way that if you want something, you have to give something back by joining the community. Seems very fair to me. I 100% agree. So that's that. Um, the next bit of news we got today is uh, Bow. I don't. I, maybe somebody can correct me on the pronunciation of this. Barabao. Barum Bow, I think that's how you say it. Anyway, what it is, is it's just a sword fighting mod for Source, and uh, it looks really cool. I watched their trailer here, and I always like these types of things where it's kind of a third person uh, Source, you know, uh, dojo type fighting thing. Um, the Specialist kind of did this, and uh, there's another mod too. But this game looks really, really cool. I can't wait to play it. And they've been releasing a lot of media lately. I've been keeping an eye on them on ModDB. And, uh, you know, they're really pumping out a lot of things over the past couple of weeks. So it's a good sign. If you haven't heard of this mod, check it out. Uh, go to their ModDB page, look at their screenshots, and watch the trailer that they just released uh, a couple days ago. Did you guys look at the trailer? Yeah, I did. It looks fun. It, I, I like the look of it. What I really want to do is I want to play it with a Wii controller, though, because for me, sword fighting has to be like a physical thing. So if this was available via the Wii, then maybe I'd try it. Well, I was going to say is, what do you think of uh, mod developers porting their things to the retail engines, so to speak? Do you think that's, Do you think modding is a good starting place for most developers out there? I think I think it is, personally. Absolutely. I think... Um, lots of people and it's probably happening now much more than it did in the past is that people start by modding uh, and Tobias is a perfect example he's going to uh, his university and he's studying this and he's making his mods and I have little doubt that he will be uh, you know in the game design industry as many many people um, are that have come through modding what I'd like to take the the idea off a tangent, though, is that too often we see the reverse engineering. And a good example of that is the Mirror's Edge, where you have the game and then somebody tries to make it for Source, for example. And I'm not sure that there's that much benefit to the community in that. Yes, from an individual point of view, maybe you learn a lot by trying to steal somebody's idea and recreating it. But I'm not sure it's good for the community as a whole. Right. I, I agree with that as well. But... Birimbao, we still, Birimbao, I think that's how you say it, um, looks awesome. Uh, I will definitely play this mod, and when it gets released, I can't wait to play it with the listeners. Because I like these types of sword fighting things. I like just sitting in a mod and not shooting. I like casu casually thinking about my my moves and uh, how I'm going to approach my enemy, that sort of thing. Instead of just, up oh, headshot, up oh, headshot. Maybe I've been playing a little bit too much Prince of Persia. But that's just how I feel. Alright, next on our list. Um, of course, we're going to go on to the releases of Planet Philip. And uh, why don't you tell us about some of these, Philip? Okay, well, first up is a map called Scary Map, which is by the same author, uh, Dark Pivot, who made Train Station. He made this one earlier, I believe. Uh, unfortunately, 
it shows a lot of potential, but it's really just a series of unconnected rooms. And as I said on uh, Planet Philip, it has this beginner feel about it. It's so much about the coloured lighting and the sort of jumping between areas with no connection. Uh, the enemies all grouped together. I, I've definitely seen worse. It's worth playing. Um, how much you'll enjoy it, I don't know, but um, I, I have seen a lot worse. So that's the first one. Have you, you've played it, haven't you, William? Oh yeah, I played it, and there are some interesting concepts that uh, the developer Dark Pivot is going through. Um, he clearly is taking some ideas from Fear and uh, other scary-based retail AAA titles um, and putting them into a mod, which you don't see a lot. I mean, spoiler alert, here we go. Um, you go through a room, and when you enter the room, the barrels and the crates kind of have a movement of their own, like somebody invisible is going through them and pushing them away from the side. And I don't think you see that sort of thing enough in the uh, Half-Life series. So things like that are interesting, and there's a lot of psychological um, uh, fears that he's putting into you. Like you'll get randomly teleported into an area that at first means nothing to you, and then you get attacked right away. So it doesn't matter that you mean nothing, that you know nothing about the area, you just have to worry about surviving. And then immediately after you get teleported back to the same area, and you're going back and forth, and it really messes with your mind. And that's another kind of scare tactic that uh, a lot of developers do. And it's nice to see that this map isn't just about, you know, blam, up in your face, uh, scare you. Instead, it's more psychological, kind of like Silent Hill. I really enjoyed the beginning. The beginning is a bit of a rush, um, but it kind of went a little downhill after that for me. But definitely got potential. And as I said before, that this is a good example of a, a mapper who probably needs to be part of a team to really um, speed up his development. On his own, he's got these little ideas, but he hasn't really managed to put them together in a whole. And that's where having um, being part of a community and making maps with other people would be really good for him and benefit him a lot. Okay, next up is a map called Blockwork. Um, I was really looking forward to this because it's basically a puzzle mod, but unfortunately I was pretty disappointed. I posted it on the website today, which is Sunday, and I've been really quite hard on it, and I've been quite hard on it, not because it's bad, but because probably I was expecting more from it. Um, there's no motivation for me to do any of the puzzles and as I mentioned earlier on in the show I want to talk about motivation it's a spoiler alert now basically you have four ragdolls and each puzzle you need to kill three of them and leave one alive the one that you need to live is called Anne and she happens to be Alex and I don't know why they changed the name or why the author changed the name but they're ragdolls they're not alive they're not making any movements they're not saying anything and for me, it got boring very quickly because I'm thinking, why am I trying to kill these people and keep Anne alive when she seems dead already? <laughs> um, I think that would be a great um, concept for uh, psychological conflicts of who you leave alive. Well, let's say the, the people are in, trapped inside uh, a box or a glass box and you see them, they want to go out and they want to go... Scream, let me out, let me out, then you have the power to decide who gets to live and who not. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's a pretty interesting concept. You know, that kind of reminds me of Saw, and it'd be really interesting if somebody created um, a Saw multiplayer mod where you're trapped in a room with, I guess, three other people and, you know, multiplayer components, and 
essentially one of you have to sacrifice each other in order for you know one person to survive or you have to go through all these puzzles and stuff and you have to sacrifice um, the lives of others and, and being smart too um, sacrifice them without them knowing so to speak for your own survival I think that'd be really cool psychological thrillers like that there was a Half-Life 2 mod uh, causality effect where um, time was messed up by the teleportation at the beginning of Half-Life 2 and uh, you sort of jump around in time and space throughout the mod and then at the end there's a sort of boss fight and who you kill during the final sequence uh, gives you uh, different endings and so it actually turned out that you know you had to kill some characters you know supposedly the goodies uh, in order to in order to save the world, because it turned out that they betrayed you or something along those lines, which is quite um, surprising. And uh, it wasn't a puzzle; it wasn't so much a puzzle, but uh, it was kind of working along those lines. I'm not sure I'm supposed to mention this, but I won't mention the developer's name. But I have a mod called. In fact, I better not even mention the name. It's not been released, and I don't know what plans he has to release it, but basically it's this idea where you have to listen to people in the mod and decide whether they're telling the truth, and you have to kill some people or not kill other people, and each time it's a little bit different, and it's a very clever way of manipulating the player's choices uh, and giving them um, these moral dilemmas. Um, so if the developer is listening, uh, please finish this mod and release it because it's definitely worth the community playing it. That you know, sounds that, awesome. Yeah, that immediately reminds me of the ship. I mean, I haven't played much of that mod, but that seems exactly as what the ship is, only in single-player form. I think that'd be really cool. Yes, it's very good. It has lots of replayability as well because there's sort of only slightly different choices, but things happen at different times, and it's very good. It's very interesting. So anyway, Philip, would you suggest that people play block work? If you're patient, yes, uh, because I, to be honest, I got bored with the third or the fourth puzzle because it was so agonizingly slow, and the developer pissed me off a little because uh, I tried to jump to one side and I got stuck and then I fell in the liquid and I died and I felt that in a puzzle mod dying just because I was exploring didn't seem quite right so I wasn't quite happy with that if you're patient try it hmm. earlier Philip you commented on the uh, the lack of motivation in the mod and um, the thing is some people might reckon a puzzle mod maybe you don't need motivation perhaps the puzzles themselves are motivation enough but um, it depends. Different gamers have different attitudes. I remember um, uh, there was one uh, mod for Half-Life 1. Uh, I remember Residual Point, um, which was I found a very enjoyable mod. It was massive in size. And it was very hard. It was very challenging. Uh, but effectively had no ending. And so what had been a really enjoyable experience, um, you know, I felt really let down at the end, as if I'd wasted my time, despite the fact that I'd just spent, you know, um, I, I had in fact enjoyed the game while playing through it. So I think it's important for mod developers to keep motivation in mind, you know, that you have some kind of goal that you're working towards. You know, I'm looking at Andrew Dobbs' personal website, and uh, looking at his other, uh, his other, uh, 
creations on his personal work and his teamwork, so to speak. Um, it's kind of interesting to see block work on this list because it's a little bit less than what he, in terms of quality, in terms uh, than what he's developed before. So I think what block work is about is more about um, the scripts and you know what's going on behind the scenes instead of what the game looks like. Would you say that, Philip? Would you say it's it's astounding in terms of uh, the scripting and you know how he manages multi-managers and triggers and functions and everything? Well, I can only comment from a player's point of view because uh, I can't make mods. My mapping experience is very, very, very limited. But what I can tell you from the player's point of view is that some of those puzzles aren't really even puzzles. They're just so, not random events, that's the wrong word, but I mean some of them can be solved by trial and error, moving this material to this box, and one of them I managed to do first time, and I don't think you should be able to do any puzzle first time by just guessing. There needs to be some element, some communication between the the the, the mod itself and the mapper, uh, sorry, and the player, and maybe the author was trying experimenting and stuff with, you know, as you say, multi-managers and these things. But from a player's point of view, that doesn't make any difference. And I don't care about those things. I care about what I've got. And if he releases it, then it should be released interesting for me. I, I don't mean to sound rude. I, I don't mean to be. Um, and I have a huge respect for anybody who releases anything. But from a player's point of view, don't release a technical thing if it doesn't interest the player. Well, that's good. That's, that's very good comments, though. That's what it's all about. Anyway, I think it's time to move on to our interviews. And... Uh... This week, we have Tobias from Suicide Survival. Uh, so, I'm just going to ask you straight up, explain what Suicide Survival is for anybody who hasn't played it. Alright, um, it's a mod for Half-Life 2. It's a two-team-spaced mod where one team gets to uh, blow themselves up and the other team gets to try not to get blowed up by the other team and tries to hide or just tries to survive. Um, the team who can blow themselves up, they look like normal props in a map. In this game, for example, they look like shrubberies or pot plants. And there are a lot of pot plants on the map, so if they don't move, um, the other team can't see who of the pot plants is a player and who's just a prop in the map. So it requires a bit of uh, waiting and tactics, when to move and when, when not to move. And uh, the suiciders, the guys who play the props, they just can blow themselves up and that's about it. And the survivors, um, they are all gardeners in this, uh, in this game, um, who don't look like gardeners, but they really are. <laughs> And they can throw gardening books at the bushes in order to uh, prevent them from blowing up. So yeah, and they have just basically try try to survive while others try to blow them to get as close as they can and to blow themselves up. Awesome! I've got to say that is a genius concept. You know, when we were talking about this last week. Uh, I didn't know anything about this mod, and we had somebody on the show, I believe it was Thomas, who played it, and he tried explaining it to us. And the idea, you have two concepts here. The first concept is that you have, in its most basic form, suiciders versus survivors. And it doesn't matter, you know, what they look like, it's just basically, there's these survivors, and they're uh, trying to avoid the suiciders, and the suiciders are trying to blow up the survivors. 
Um, but then you throw on this extra element where it's about gardening. And the two have nothing to do with each other. But for some reason, for some reason, they work so well. So where did you even think of the idea to use bushes and gardeners in such a horrific and gruesome game? Uh, I have to maybe get into more detail about that, because the idea for this mod I got from another mod was called Suicide Barrels, and it was a mod for Gary's mods, and it was very old, like, um, 2007 or so, and nobody was playing it, and I thought the concept of this game is pretty genius, and so I used it as part of the, uh, um, the lecture course I had in, in, the, in school, and modified it, and at some point I figured uh, exploding barrels isn't uh, gonna work very good, and it needs to be changed in something else, and I just picked uh, the first thing that came to my mind, uh, which was robberies, and I also picked robberies because you don't expect uh, robberies to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This game is so funny. Um, like, when you're playing with friends, it's just so ridiculously hilarious. And when you're playing with other people that you don't even know, um, the community has really taken off, and there's a lot of people who are extremely interested in this mod and stick with it. Uh, another question I wanted to ask is, I wanted to kind of tie this into what you're learning in school, because like I've stated before, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who want to get into game design. Um, does your school encourage you creating this mod, or are you doing this mod for a sort of project or something? Um, well, I have to say, um, normally in school there's a they don't like you using um, game engines and modifying them because for a couple of reasons. Yeah, and it's also more work than using, uh, like in our case, uh, Unity 3D. And my uh, professor, my lecturers, they said, yeah, I mean, we're not happy you if you use Source Engine because it's a lot of work and uh, it looks like Half-Life 2 if you use it and you have to modify everything so we accept what you, what work you do and I was like pretty stubborn and said yeah okay I will do it and we'll replace everything and uh, uh, yeah and in the end they were pretty surprised at how it turned out yeah yeah you certainly proved them wrong which is in my opinion this is one of the greatest mods uh, in a couple months to be honest it's so original and so fun to play um, I think Evil Twin was alluding to my next question and uh, this was immediately something I thought of when I first played Suicide Survivals, Survivors, and uh, and I think a lot of people are thinking this as well, is do you have any, um, any plans to move this past shrubs? Um, for example, is there any plans for the mod to allow mappers to choose their own specific models to be the suiciders and their own specific models to be the survivors um, in the sense where, say, if a mapper wanted to have a filing cabinet room or, like you said, a barrel room, they could do that. They could just choose the prop and uh, choose the survivor and it would pretty much be done uh, all for, for any concept that the mapper could think of. Um, yeah, that's that's the idea I'm uh, you want to I'm following, but the problem is uh, if you replace like let's say you replace the shrubbery, you also have to replace 
the sound files because if you make uh, if you turn it into a refrigerator or something like that, and then they walk around and sound like uh, sound like bushes rattling, and uh, that's not gonna work. So it requires a lot of uh, detailed thinking of how to make it as easy as possible for mappers to uh, exchange the content. But uh, that's an idea I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I like your 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 suggestion of a refrigerator. I'm imagining a um, a map which is a kitchen showroom, completely full of fridges and and dishwashers and washing machines and cookers, and uh, and can have suiciders not just you know one model. They could be disguised as anything, as a fridge, as a washing machine, as a dishwasher, um, you know, amongst all the rows of other appliances. Uh, that that could be a laugh. Yeah, I mean, the possibilities are endless, and you opening it up to the the, the mappers, uh, sort of what we talk about all the time, mods of mods, um, will really increase the longevity of your mod. Which brings me to my next question, and my final question, before we hand it over to Philip. Um, what are you doing to encourage your community to stay active in the mod? I'm going to kind of try to, I'm going to play the devil's advocate, and I might scare you a little bit here but uh, hopefully it'll bring in some discussion. Um, I see a lot of mods like this spring up, and they're really, really, really great. But unfortunately, they die out because uh, either people lose interest or uh, it doesn't get the proper PR. So what do you plan on doing to encourage the community to either A, create more maps, or uh, you, you know yourself, B, create more updates? What do you have in plan for the future? Uh, well, honestly, I didn't think much about that. The, the main concept I want to do is to enable uh, mappers to use, to exchange props and exchange content, but, which is also more work for them. But I think that will generate a lot of more maps and uh, generate more interest. Um, apart from that, um, I didn't think much about about uh, this part. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I want to try to keep it as simple as possible and to make, I mean, I want, don't want to make it complicated and I want to release uh, often so it will um, be more interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, I noticed in the original release of Suicide Survivors um, you had orange maps. Uh, you know, there was the, the greenhouse map, which is the main map that everybody plays, and then there's uh, two other maps um, that were originally orange textured. Were you planning on keeping those orange textured and getting to them later, or did the popularity of the mod force you to essentially release those maps a couple days later in the new map pack that's out? Uh, well, they weren't supposed to be released with the 1.1, uh, 1.0 release, so that's an error on my side. <laughs> but the map pack I released, they are just like, I read, redone the maps and... Uh, completed them because the original they were just test maps and they didn't have the proper ammunition boxes and they weren't like um, how do you say they weren't like completed for for public play yeah very cool okay so I have a few questions um, some of them might seem really really stupid but they're from a point of view from somebody who's never played any MP stuff before so I'm hopefully going to be helping some of the listeners out there who probably want some of these questions asked but maybe were too uh, afraid to ask them first of all why books why are we throwing books at the shrubs why not a pair of um, clippers to sort of chop the heads off the bushes so why books 
Uh, well, I'm there you have to go into the story of the mod. There's a little story involved, which basically goes, which basically goes like this: um, the shrubs are just like normal pot plants, and on one day they decide, well, we want to be free. We don't want to be pot plants anymore. Um, they're starting a rebellion, and the gardeners are basically using knowledge to fight this rebellion and thus they throw gardening for beginners books at them and in the beginning I I didn't know like four days or two days before I had to finish the game I didn't know what weapon they should use and I asked a lot of people and they all said yeah well use gardening uh, scissors or use um, uh, the anti anti box spray or something like that and I always say, no, no, that's just too stereotypical, because that's what people expect. I mean, if you have gardeners, we expect them to, to throw gardening scissors or to, to trim the bushes. And I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to be that. Like, I wanted to be uh, something new, something unexpected. Okay, no, that's good. I just was curious, and maybe once I start playing, I'll figure that out for myself. Now, when I join a server, what happens? Do do I choose a side? Do I choose to be a survivor or a suicide? And how long do we play for? Is uh, you know, is it for a time limit, or how often people get killed, or, or what happens there? Uh, right now, it's totally depending on whatever you want. If you join a server, you get the server puts you in a team, depending on which team has less players, and then you play. But you can also, you can change team at any time. So whatever you want. Um, there's no current, uh, there's no team balancing function implanted right now. Uh, yeah, there's also no time limit, unless the server himself sets a time limit for the map. Um, yeah, not, yeah. Um, I think the whole absence of the team balancing is good because it allows people to gang up on one survivor, and that makes for an interesting gameplay in the. Uh, in the mod, so I, I kind of urge you right now to no, do not include team balancing, or at least have it as a C-bar that can be switched. Okay, so what you're saying is that I join, I start playing, and you just keep playing until you've had enough. There's, there's no rounds, there's no map movements, just play until you're bored. Exactly, that's the status quo. And that's what makes this mod so beautiful, to be honest. I mean, you jump in a server, and... Uh, and there's just people blowing themselves up, and people come and go. It's just really that simple. It's awesome. How many survivors, or is, does there have to be, I mean, obviously there has to be a minimum of one, but, but I mean, what you said earlier, William, are you saying that there can be like 50 suiciders and then just one survivor? Yeah, if the server, I mean, the maximum players is uh, 32, so there could be like 31 uh, suiciders and one... Survivors, which makes the gameplay pretty fun for the survivor. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing this. It's gonna be the playing event of the week, so I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna see what happens. I'm open-minded, but it sounds like it's fun, and it's definitely very creative as well. Um, if I may, may might to add on this, the idea is to do in the next release or the uh, release after that to make um, the game concept round-based, like in the, in the beginning of the game, one person gets picked as suicide and everybody else is survivor, and they have to try to survive for like 10 minutes or something like that. 
<laughs> and if they get killed by the suicider, they switch teams. So until, either way, until nobody is left of the survivors, then the suiciders win. Or uh, if one or more people of survivors are left until the times and time rounds out, the survivors win. I know everybody's got their own ideas for what they should do, but I'd love to see, um, instead of pot plants or shrubs, I'd love to see the car, the jalopy from uh, episode two, like in a huge car lot. And everybody, there's like hundreds of these cars and some of them are alive and almost they come and try and run you over. That would be kind of cool. Exploding cars. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. All right, so uh, why don't you tell us the site and where people can download it, and then we can move on. Uh, yeah, it should be linked on the podcast webpage, and otherwise it's uh, suicidesurvival.2ndsky.ch. And of course that'll be in the show notes, like uh, Tobias has said. I was just going to say, that's a bit of a mouthful, that web address. I know I haven't gotten around to register a .com domain, so I'm going to do that sometime later. You better do it before somebody else gets it before you. That'd be really bad. True that. I'm doing it now. I'm going to sell it to you for $100, Tobias. All right. <laughs> um, all right, so our second last item on the agenda, and this is our discussion topic. Uh, we're kind of running out of time, so hopefully this can be short, but I just wanted to mention it. Valve has released their lifetime retail sales for like the whole Half-Life franchise. And this is amazing because a lot of developers don't really do this because they don't want to show in which direction they're moving, and they definitely don't release lifetime retail sales. Um, the interesting thing here, though, is that this does not include digital distribution, which is obviously Valve's main platform for deploying Half-Life 2 and everything subsequent of Half-Life 2. Um, so just... Uh, reading off some of the stats here, um, 9.3 million units of Half-Life have been sold on retail. Um, that's since 1998. And uh, Blue Shift sold 1.1 million. I mean, sorry, Opposing Force sold 1.1 billion uh, million, and Blue Shift sold 800,000 units. So clearly Blue Shift is the loser in terms of numbers sold. But uh, Half-Life with 9.3 million. Anyway, um, Counter-Strike sold 4.2 million. Um, Condition Zero sold 2.9 million. It's interesting to see that Condition Zero uh, beat out Blue Shift. And it's considered um, the worst of the two. And uh, 2.1 million Counter-Strike Source. So Condition Zero even sold more copies than Counter-Strike Source, which is crazy. Um, Half-Life 2 released 6.5 million, um, Episode 1 sold 1.4 million, and uh, I don't think... Oh, they go down talking about uh, the orange box here, too. I can't see... Oh, the orange box completely sold 3 million units at retail, so uh, Episode 2, Portal, and TF2 together sold uh, 3 million units. And, of course, um, Left 4 Dead, we're getting in those numbers now. Um, but that's going to be another high count. So in total, published retail figures total 32.8 million units sold. And uh, projected is going to be 
36 to 30, 36, around 36 million for Left 4 Dead. That's crazy amount of numbers coming from Valve. Uh, that really just shows what they're about. I've got to say, with um, the figures for Episode 1, which seem quite low, um, I'm pretty sure Episode 1 was mainly sold online on Steam far more than any of the other games. Um, because, you know, Orange Box uh, you know, was, a, was a collection of a whole bunch of games, so people might have been more likely to buy that retail in the shops. But Episode 1 was just one game on its own without any real bonus, and it was heavily advertised on Steam to anyone that plays Half-Life 2. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of people just bought it on Steam and didn't bother going out and getting a disc of it. Having said that, though, Alexander, the 1.4 was retail. That was all. It doesn't say how many were sold via Steam. Oh, no, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just saying that um, it would be very interesting to see the digital figures because um, although Episode 1 seems to you know, lose out in the retail figures compared to Half-Life 2 or the Orange Box, I think if you looked at the digital figures, I think Episode 1 would be one of the biggest digital sellers. Okay, yeah, I see your point. I'm I'm very curious to know how many people bought episode two outside of the orange box, um, and we'll they, maybe they'll release them eventually. But uh, and I wonder how many people bought episode one via Steam as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to look at the digital distribution numbers if they ever do release those. I mean, they don't have to. They're really just releasing these to say like, hey, look at our awesome numbers. This is why we're the best. But uh, comparing Episode 1 to Episode 2 is going to be interesting, to say the least. Um, one thing that I'm reading through the comments on Game of Sutra, and I check Game of Sutra quite often, and somebody says, it's a shame that Goofman and Cliffy only got paid 250000 each for Counter-Strike. So Valve really only dropped $500,000 for the Counter-Strike IP, but they released... 2.9 million, 2.1 million, and then, uh, you know, the original sold a whole bunch to uh, 4.2 million <laughs> in itself. So the amount of money they got, it's definitely, the, definitely a bargain on Valve's part. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a mod maker and somebody says to me, hey, you want 250k for your mod? I'd be like, uh, yeah, okay, thanks very much. I'm actually quite surprised that the, the low number, I say low, it's all relative, of Counter-Strike Source, 2.1 million seems quite low. Um, I wonder, I wonder, I always assumed that Counter-Strike Source was just played and bought much more than any of the other games that they made. I wonder if those type of people are a little bit more into piracy than the others. I recently saw a statistic uh, who showed... Uh, which game multiplayer players played the most and Counter-Strike Source was at the top when followed by Team Fortress and it exceeded Team Fortress 2 by about four times the amount of Team Fortress 2 so that's really crazy numbers. So if you think of it that way, I mean obviously like we keep stating we're not taking in digital distribution but Team Fortress 2 took in more retail units than Counter-Strike Source. So if the digital distribution numbers mirror this, saying that even still Orange Box sells more units than uh, Counter-Strike Source, then Philip, you're essentially correct in saying that piracy does have a big factor in this if people are saying Counter-Strike Source is the number one multiplayer game. 
Mm, I'm, I'd be surprised by that because I'd have thought um, playing multiplayer games pirate would be quite tricky. Um, counter- I thought playing Counter Strike Source, you know, it's designed for the Steam system. I'd have uh, find it uh, find it hard to imagine there were that many people playing it using some kind of pirate independent system. Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, I've, I've never really tried pirating Counter Strike Source. Uh, I don't know how difficult that is to get online, or even pir- getting online on any Steam game. I think it is fairly difficult. I mean, we remember the whole uh, fiasco with Bioshock and uh, Bioshock on Steam. Yeah, I think you're right, Alexander. I mean, I must be wrong that, you know, they can't they can't pirate it and play online. And, of course, one of the things is that um, you have to play online, don't you, with Counter-Strike Source. I mean, you, you, it's that kind of game, whereas Half-Life or the episodes, yeah, maybe you're online, but you're not playing online. And I don't know how Valve differentiate between those two things. And you have to be playing all the time. Also, the the high the high sales figures of of Counter Strike versus Counter Strike Source is because um, you know Counter Strike is an old game and it will run on weaker computers. So uh, you know there's lots of people that don't have what would be considered gaming computers, but they can still play Counter Strike. And Counter Strike's played all over all over the world. I remember reading reports in a magazine of pay- people playing you know Counter Strike uh, in the Middle East and and so on, and they're using. You know what, by t- you know our standards, would seem to be very crude computers. Um, there wouldn't be much chance of them playing Counter Strike Source on them. Even in the university that I go to, the idea behind Counter Strike is that it's so lightweight that they even just put them on USB sticks. And even though our computers at university have deep freeze, so every time you reboot the computer, everything gets deleted. They just bring their USB sticks, they plug it in, and they can instantly just have a Counter Strike LAN, which makes things a million times easier for gamers out there who just want to pick up and go. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to do the number comparisons. I wanted to look up EA's, just for comparison, EA's retail sales. I didn't have time to do it, but what But what I wanted to do is uh, compare EA's number of, number of games they release per year and uh, their staff size versus Valve's. And then take, in, take that into account and see if Valve comes up on top when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. And I think they would. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to disagree with me. But if you take into account EA's staff size and the number of games they release per year, I think Valve would still come out on top in terms of sales. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. You know, EA might produce far more games and they might seem to get higher sales figures, but they've got a million people working for them, you know, thousands of development studios churning the stuff out. So, of course, it's very expensive actually making the games themselves. For me, the people who run Valve are very, very smart and I think that they really know what they're doing and they really understand gamers and they really understand games more than any other company that I've had any contact with. And I don't really know about EA. I think that they make a lot of those sports games, but I really have a lot of respect for the way Valve do what they do. I don't, re- I don't agree with everything that they do, but I think that they're very, very smart and they do things exactly the way they want to. And it works. Most definitely. This is definitely a good 
motivation uh, technique for all Valve employees. You know, release your retail sales figures, and people can see how well the company's doing. And by this, I mean the stock's going to go up too. I mean Valve stock, people are going to see this on Game of Sutra, business like check Game of Sutra. Um, you know, people are going to invest into the company more uh, more when something like this is released. So it's a good business strategy too for Valve to do something like this. Are they a public company? Can you buy shares? Well, I don't know. I don't know, but if if they were, I don't know if they're out on the stock market. If they are, I should put in some stock in Valve. But, uh, I mean, the idea is you're going to have more interested business type. That's basically all I'm trying to say. Now I'm checking if they're on a, on the stock market. Anyway, so I think that's all we can say about that. Um, and then our last bit of news is the video of the month. Philip, why don't you tell us about this? I found this one by accident. Uh, I was just doing a search on Vimeo for Half-Life, and I saw this, The Road to Ravenholm, and uh, it, it caught my interest. It's actually uh, structured like a, um, a documentary, a, a natural history documentary, and it's about the, the exodus or the migration of head crabs. <laughs> it's really, really funny. It's not supposed to be some like machinima where it tells this fantastic story. It's just like a documentary, and I really enjoyed it. I kind of watched it, and I thought, ah, oh, that's, that's a really good, good way of using the assets of Half-Life and sort of twisting it. So uh, I really liked it. Did you watch it, William? Yeah, it reminded me of uh, March of the Penguins, actually. If all they needed was, uh, um, oh, what's his name now? What's the guy who narrates March of the Penguins? Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Morgan Freeman. I wanted to say Gordon Freeman. I have too much Half-Life on my mind. It was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, you know, it really does fall. It, it kind of personifies the head crabs a little bit. It makes you feel sad for them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they are just living creatures caught out in a you know a difficult situation. So that was kind of funny. One thing I really want to mention is that um, I was having breakfast the other day, and I uh, I don't normally have breakfast, and I put some croissants on my plate, and just for one second they reminded me of these head crabs just jumping up at me. It was quite funny. I don't think I would eat a croissant then. I never realised before how that shape of a croissant gives you that image of a head crab coming at you. So. Be careful, listeners, if you're having breakfast. You never know. One may come alive. <laughs> it is a very good uh, video. Okay, well, we've come to the end of another show. No listeners' questions this week, so please feel free to use the new audio and video comments to send in your questions as well, or you can use the usual method of just recording them and sending them. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our guests. Tobias from Suicide and Survivors and your evil twin, especially coming on at short notice. William, do you have anything to say? Of course, I wanted to talk about the community thing again to remind listeners to go to, um, to register on Steam and join our Steam community. Just search Podcast 17 and uh, go ahead and join the group. And this week we will be playing uh, Suicide Survivors. Okay, I'll be on there as well. So if you want to, you know, frag me, you can do that. Thank you to our guests again. Thanks very much for having me on the show. It's been great. Well, thanks for, thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And don't forget, always be aware of pot plants. Thank you to our listeners. If you want to contact us, please email at feedback at podcast17.com visit the website for the latest information and all the previous podcasts thank you and see you next week <laughs>